0: Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad and Daughter Do Death. Hello Phoebe, how are you?
1: I'm alright, I've got a bit of a cold. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm in a bucket for this episode.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope you don't give it to me because tonight we're recording right opposite each other. We are. In um, a very rare live recording in front of a Specially selected live audience
1: Our first ever live studio <laughs> audience
0: <laughs> And uh, we're actually on location as well Not particularly a murder location <laughs> No, we, we aren't
1: in a in a morgue or a prison no. or <laughs> We are, yeah, away together
0: Away for a few days Together, yep, yeah. so we're taking this opportunity of recording episode 35
1: Yes Because we wouldn't want to miss a week.
0: No, no, we would not like to let our listeners down, particularly as we have now hit over 2,000 downloads. So thank you all very much indeed for your continued support.
1: Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for continuing to listen.
0: Any news from the world of true crime this week, Phoebe?
1: I've been trying to have a bit of a phone, social media news detox this week, but before we came away, I was... Paying very close attention to the Riley Crossman case in America and found out on Tuesday, the 5th of October, that um, Andy McCauley, who was on trial, was found guilty on all counts, so he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. I mean, the defence didn't even put up a case, so... He very clearly did it. he's so. been sentenced? He's been sentenced on the 4th of November, oh, okay. but the jury have recommended that he spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, so. And
0: this was in West Virginia? West Virginia, yeah. There is no death penalty? No death
1: penalty. It was abolished in 1965. Okay. So, um, yeah, life in prison without parole will happen there. Um, we've obviously been keeping an eye on the Gabby Petito case, and nothing's happening there.
0: Um, no, I did see a news article about the police activity has stepped up. In the search?
1: Yeah, I, I just don't think he's West there. Florida. I just really... He, he could be anywhere in the world now. Yeah. Um, his parents seem to be changing their story, though. So, yeah, I think, as we've said all along, they're going to have some questions to answer, I think, when this all comes to the, an end.
0: Yeah, and there's some strange information coming out from his sister to say that he flew back yeah. in August. Yeah. Uh, just shortly after they'd had that bit of an argument that yeah. was recorded on police body cam.
1: I think just before... And he flew out just before they think she died, so... So he flew back out to Utah just before she died.
0: Oh, so she? you think she was still alive when he flew back to Florida?
1: I think so, I think that's what they're saying. Oh,
0: OK. Then he flew back to Utah. Yeah,
1: because there's, like, Instagram posts from her from, like, the 19th, 20th, twenty fifth first, I think. So it's all a very muddy timeline. <laughs> um, but they've said that he was definitely using her bank card. That's what he, yeah. he that's the bank card that he's in trouble for. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's the they for at the moment really, mm-hmm. isn't it?
1: But yeah, I just really hope they catch him.
0: Indeed. Something else that I noticed today as well. Do you remember back in August there was a, a shooting in Plymouth where a gunman took the lives of five mm-hmm. people, complete strangers before he shot himself? The incel The incel man, yeah. And uh, just something that was in the news today was that the police themselves have come under some Mm -hmm. criticism and a couple of police officers have received misconduct notices for the way that they handled his application to have his shotgun licence returned to him.
1: Interesting. uh, The police are coming under quite a lot of scrutiny at the moment, aren't they?
0: Yeah, there's a few things going on which... uh, Yeah, they need to look at. Mm. And I'm sure they will.
1: Yes. So tonight, because it is October and we are less than three weeks away from Halloween. so all it is. (laughs) Yep, Got a countdown. So tonight, I am going to talk about the story behind the kind of real-life Frankenstein. Okay. And how that came to be and... What we learned from it, potentially. Frankenstein was written by Mary Shelley in 1816 when she was just 18 years old, which is mind-blowing that an 18-year-old could come up with that. I think she would definitely be a... True crime listener. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So supposedly Mary and her lover, who then became her husband, Percy Shelley, spent the summer of 1816 at Lord Byron's villa um, at Lake Geneva in Switzerland. And obviously... Percy Shelley and Lord Byron were famous romantic poets. Um, The weather was terrible for the time of year. It's known as the year without a summer. So they had to stay inside for most of the time that they were there. And to pass the time, they read a lot of German ghost stories and talked a lot about recent scientific developments. And this caused Lord Byron to propose a wager of who could write the best ghost story. Okay. So Lord Byron wrote a story about vampires, which eventually led to the creation of the modern vampire genre and then mary shelley wrote frankenstein the idea i don't know what um percy shelley wrote (laughs) the idea of frankenstein came to her in a waking dream which i think is basically like a shot of imagination (laughs) um after passing past frankenstein castle which wasn't too far away from geneva and she learned that there used to be an alchemist who lived there who spent years kind of doing experiments and after a long time of talking about these kind of ghost stories the occult and the nature of human life so very briefly summary of frankenstein because it's quite a long story um it tells a story of victor frankenstein and is told in a series of letters so victor is a young genevan man who's engaged to his cousin and ready to head off to university and he's fascinated by alchemy Uh, just before he leaves for university his mother dies of scarlet fever leaving him grief-stricken and obsessed with the idea of death and how you could bring people back to life. At university, he excels at chemistry and other sciences and soon starts developing this secret technique to impart life to non-living matter. He undertakes the creation of a humanoid by seeking out body parts. Um, and he says, I collected bones from charnel houses, which is where skeletal remains were kept.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: The dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of my materials. During Mary Shelley's time, the use of dead bodies from dissecting rooms and slaughterhouses would have been horrifying because everybody knew that the bodies that were in those places were criminals. So it was the worst of the worst who were being sent to these places to be chopped up. So the thought that he was going to create new life from these people who had done these horrific things would have been very horrifying.
0: Slaughterhouses.
1: <laughs> so, I think what he means by slaughterhouses is like, like prisons, like where they would like kind of hang people, or oh, wow. you know, like in prison where they would <laughs> kill people. <laughs> That's why it took that to me. So yeah, so that led to the perception of this creature, which is obviously Frankenstein's monster not Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Frankenstein's the yeah, yeah. <laughs> the doctor, leading to th- the fact that he was a criminal even before he started doing anything wrong. And due to the difficulty in replicating the kind of minute parts of the body, he makes the creature very tall, about eight foot tall, and proportionately large, so he could create, um, you know, all the <laughs> things that need to go okay. into the body. Yeah. And despite selecting its features to be beautiful from the... Um, options that he had the creature is instead hideous with uh, watery white eyes and yellow skin that barely conceals the muscles and blood vessels underneath Um, so Victor is horrified by this work, he flees and the creature escapes and what follows is a cat and mouse chase around Europe and most of the world with the creature he's created, Um, the creature just wants love but behind him leaves a trail of murder, misery and destruction um it's quite a good read, would recommend, if you've got time. <laughs> it's
0: quite an imagination for an 18-year-old. Girl yeah. An old, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> um,
1: and it wasn't initially a success. Some people thought it was good, some people thought it was rubbish. But it was re-released several times. But it really kind of piqued the public's interest in 1931, when it became much more popular and the staple of horror halloween genre when it was turned into the really famous film this is yeah. where we get that image of frankenstein being that kind of square-headed green-faced black-haired monster with, with bolts, bolts in his, his neck <laughs> 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 um and it went on to inspire a whole series of films including obviously the sequel the bride of frankenstein which is mentioned in the original story okay Um, he kind of begs victor to create him a lover and then when he does Victor decides that he couldn't do that, so he destroys it, which makes the monster even more angry. And it also kind of features in hundreds of other films, TV series, um, over the last century. It's the inspiration for the song The Monster Mash, which I <laughs> didn't realise.
0: <laughs> and I have no doubt as well, Rocky horror picture show. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean,
1: that idea of creating new life from other bits of other bodies or um, you know, making something fresh and kind of bringing it to life is... It's fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Really, that kind of idea that you could create life.
0: So, the image that most people have of Frankenstein's monster with the bolts through its neck—that comes from the film adaptation. <laughs> that wasn't part of the original.
1: No, in the original story, it doesn't talk a lot about kind of what it looks like. Just that it looks hideous and it's terrifying and it's really tall. Right. Yeah. There's no other real kind of description about what it looks like. So, the film depicts Victor Frankenstein as a crazed doctor digging up bodies and literally digging up bodies from the grave and stitching them back together. Whereas in the book, he obviously takes the individual elements and pieces of them. He would take like an artery from this person and a bone from this other person to kind of create this perfect wow. skeleton. That'd take forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the film uses this idea of electricity oh, to yeah. kind of bolt him back to life. Whereas in the book, he uses a kind of vague process, that's not really described, to explain how he brings a creature, monster, to life. So whilst Mary Shelley doesn't explicitly mention using electricity in her books, in the preface of the 1831 version, she mentions the experiments of Galvanism that were very popular at the time. So at the time that she wrote Frankenstein, there was a big debate going on about how life existed. There were kind of two schools of thought that things existed because either of some sort of biological force, or that living things existed because of some sort of animal electricity, which was pioneered by a man called Luigi Galvani. Okay. Luigi Galvani was born in Bologna in Italy in 1737. He was a physicist, biologist, and a philosopher who kind of discovered and coined animal electricity. He is recognised as the pioneer of the bioelectromagnetics, which is the study of the interaction of electromagnetism and biological elements. So him and his wife started experimenting on frogs and electricity in the mid-1700s and they discovered that by positioning electrodes in certain places on the frog's body, they could make the frog's legs twitch. And they coined the term animal electricity to describe this. And along with their contemporaries, he regarded their activation as being generated by an electrical fluid that's carried to the muscles by the nerves. So he thought that's how we moved and how we got our energy. Okay. Um, and then this, this phenomenon was dubbed galvanism. So it's still studied today. The kind of study of galvanic effects in biology is called electrophysiology. And galvanism is, is used more to kind of discuss historical context. But he died in 1797 in complete poverty after being oh, wow. stripped of all his academic and public positions. However, the study into Galvanism wasn't dead. Galvani's nephew, Giovanni Aldini, was also fascinated by the concept of being able to bring animals and people back to life by using electricity. And this started a new phase of experimentism in Galvanism. Okay. His most famous public demonstration of the electro-stimulation technique of deceased limbs was actually performed on an executed criminal He was called George Forster at Newgate in London in 1803. So George Forster was found guilty of murdering his wife and his child by drowning them in Paddington Canal in London. At his trial, the events were reconstructed. Forster's mother-in-law said that um, her daughter and grandchild had left her house to go and visit him at four o'clock on Saturday the 4th of December, 1802. Joseph Bradfield owned a house that um, Forster lodged in and he said that they'd stayed the night there and at 10am on the Sunday morning they'd gone out. He also said that Forster and his wife hadn't been on good terms because she wished to leave him to be with Joseph Bradfield. Um, and various witnesses saw George with his wife and child in pubs near Paddington Canal during the day on the Sunday. Then the body of his child, which I believe was a daughter, um, oh, nice. was found on the Monday morning, and then they carried on dragging the canals and they found his wife three days later. George Forster obviously denied this and said that he wasn't there <laughs> and gave an alibi, which is contradicted by a waiter, and scepticism was expressed that he couldn't have been where he said he was at the time that he claimed after where he'd been seen. The jury found him guilty, and he was sentenced to death and also to be dissected afterwards.
0: Okay.
1: And this sentence was designed not only to provide medicine with corpses that they needed to experiment, because at this time that was a really important thing, which, is, which, is which I be... think we'll touch on yeah. <laughs> soon, Um. Also, to ensure that the condemned people couldn't rise again on Judgment Day, which I didn't realise was a thing, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Because their bodies had been cut into pieces and selectively discarded, they wouldn't be able to find each other (laughs) on Judgment Day, essentially. So there wouldn't be any criminals uh, to come back on Judgment Day. So he was hanged on the 18th of January, shortly before which he made a full confession. He said he'd come to hate his wife and had twice before taken her to the canal to kill her, but his nerves had failed him both times. Okay. So that was only, what, six weeks after it happened? Seven weeks after it happened? Yeah, well... And with the Christmas break as well, they, they moved quickly on that.
0: You've seen that even... <laughs> yeah. I mean. Even yeah. to quite recent times.
1: It's a common thing that we've seen a lot recently with the um, criminals around this sort of time, that they'd be sentenced and executed quite quickly. Yeah. A recent documentary actually questioned about the fairness of this trial, because <laughs> uh, all the evidence was quite circumstantial. It notes that his the friends of George Forster's wife claimed that she was extremely suicidal and had often talked about killing herself and her daughter together. And according to this documentary, Forster had attempted suicide by stabbing himself with a with a knife. This was to avoid waking up during the dissection of his body. Uh, should he not have died? when he was hanged and they didn't realise it and apparently this was a real possibility owing to the crude methods of execution at the time and the same person suggests that his confession was actually obtained under duress and it alleges that a beadle who was paid by Aldini, uh, the guy who was doing this experiment fast-tracked the whole trial and legal procedure in order to obtain the freshest corpse possible for uh, his benefactor so that's quite interesting
0: (laughs) wrong place at the wrong time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So George was hanged at Newgate on the 18th of January 1803 and shortly after his body was taken to a nearby house where it was given to Giovanni Aldini for the experiment. The experiment he performed on his body was a demonstration of galvanism. So the kind of Newgate record of executions reports that On the first application of the process to the face, the jaws of the deceased criminal began to quiver, and the adjoining muscles were horribly contorted, and one eye was actually opened. In the subsequent part of the process the right hand was raised and clenched, and the legs and thighs were set in motion. Several of those present believe that Forster had been brought back to life, and the Newgate calendar reports that even if this had been so, he would have had to be re-executed as soon as his sentence was to hang until he be dead which seems a bit mean to bring him back to life to kill him again and one man mr pass the beadle of the surgeon's company was so shocked that he died shortly after leaving apparently
0: oh my um, <laughs> another fresh corpse mm,
1: yeah they could have tried it all over again <laughs> the hanged man was certainly dead since his blood had been drained from him after he died and his spinal cord severed after the execution um, oh, okay.
0: So <laughs> there was no doubt that he—he he was definitely—he
1: wasn't going to be able to come back to life. But wasn't I think
0: just not dead when no. they did these things I mean, right, Okay. But I think they were
1: interested to see whether they could get him to kind of move, yeah, and yeah. if they could, you know, use this theory on him. And this wasn't the only experiment attempting to bring people back to life. On September the first, eighteen eighteen. So a few years later. Matthew Clydesdale was charged with murdering a 70-year-old man in a drunken rage and brought to Glasgow. On October 3rd, Clydesdale was found guilty at trial and was sentenced to be hanged and anatomised, so dissected for research purposes. The execution of Matthew Clydesdale for the crime of murder was the first in Glasgow for 10 years and thousands of people turned out to see him being hanged. So Kleiser was brought out the afternoon of November the 4th, so like two months after the crime, again, quite speeding, and he was uh, hanged and died immediately. As soon as he was pronounced dead, his body was cut down and quickly taken up to the salt market by the university. And when he got there, the, um, the hall was full, again, with people who'd come to watch this uh, anatomist mm-hmm. doing these experiments because they didn't get to see it very often. So the key doctor here was a doctor called Dr. Andrew Yer. He was a senior lecturer at um, the recently founded Andersons Institution. And he completely believed that he could bring this man back to life. He was fully convinced that by using the science of galvanization, that he could absolutely bring him back to life. So he bought in his galvanic battery, charged it up, with dilute nitric and sulfuric acids and he kind of attached him up and was absolutely convinced he would come back to life in like the accounts of his experiments he said this event however little desirable with the murderer and perhaps contrary to the law would yet have been pardonable in one instance as it would have been highly honorable and useful to science (laughs) i'm not sure how useful it would be to be able to (laughs) kind of bring people back to life but hey So they started kind of cutting him open and exposed various bits of the body that they needed to, to be kind of electrically stimulated. He didn't bleed at all to prove, you know, he was, he was definitely dead. And they connected rods to his heel and his spinal cord. This caused such violent extensions of his bent knee that it nearly kind of knocked over one of the assistants that was standing there. In an attempt to restore breathing, (laughs) the rods were connected to um, nerves around his diaphragm and... Uh, And Dr. Yeo said in his uh, accounts that the success of it was truly wonderful. Full, nay, laborious breathing instantly commenced. The chest heaved and fell. The belly was protruded and again collapsed with the retiring and collapsing diaphragm. And the real drama occurred when the electric current was applied to Clydesdale's suborbital nerve and heel. By varying the voltage... Rage, horror, despair, anguish and ghastly smiles united their hideous expression on the murderer's face. Um, Wow. And at this point, with his face kind of (laughs) contorting so much, um, loads of spectators had to leave because they were absolutely terrified. They were convinced that he was back to life. And then the final experiment that made them believe that he was really alive, they made a cut into his forefinger and attached the kind of rods to it, turned it on, and he lifted up his hand and pointed to the audience. So... They were kind of convinced that he was alive. One person, much later, said that um, claimed that he was present at the experiment, and he said that he he claimed that he saw Clydesdale's body being brought back to life in front of the audience, and he claimed that one of the anatomists grabbed a scalpel and slit his throat, so that the reanimated corpse then dropped down dead again. <laughs> but that was 30 years later. That, that person would okay. that. <laughs> but either way, there's a lot of reports to say that um, through kind of using this galvanization method that he was able to kind of yeah. like, move his arms and legs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's known that um, there were other experiments and it's known that Mary Shelley went and sat in at least one of them and kind of watched it. And it was something that she was interested in, this idea of could human life be brought back together by using this kind of electric force.
0: And then she wrote the book and then she after wrote that. she'd seen that. Yeah,
1: and it was all while well, it was kind of like a hot topic at the time. But obviously bringing people back to life with electricity is only part of the story. (laughs) Uh, Victor Frankenstein needed more than electricity to create his monster. The Doctor also needed parts to make the being of a gigantic stature that is to say about 8 feet in height and proportionally large. So in a word, that's transplantation. So transplantation is a relatively modern procedure made possible by the discovery of blood types in the early 1900s. um, And research... On to tissue compatibility that started in the nineteen thirties. So this was way after Mary Shelley mm-hmm, yeah. um wrote a her of story. Years, yeah, on. well a hundred years afterwards, yeah. And yeah, getting on for two hundred years after the kind of Luigi Galvani experiment. Right. But it was obviously something that people were interested in, kind of moving body parts around. And <laughs> could body parts be going to different places as a kind of almost like science fiction mm-hmm. idea when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein and Frankenstein is often thought to be like the first sci-fi novel, oh, potentially. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so Soviet scientist Vladimir Demikov was a pioneer in organ transplantation. He performed the first heart lung transplant in 1946 on a dog, and the first lung transplant in 1947, also on a dog, and the first successful heart bypass surgery in 1953, again, on a dog. Um, his, dog. I think different dogs. <laughs> not very well dog. His work contributed to modern heart and lung transplantation and the surgical treatment of coronary artery disease, which now is kind of commonplace, really, in how our medicine works, isn't it? But in 1954, Demikov gained worldwide infamy by transplanting the upper body and front legs of a small dog onto the neck of a bigger one. So the two heads, which could eat and drink separately, survived for four days, and both of them could, like... Bark separately, eat and drink separately. There's photos. I'll post photos.
0: <laughs> Incredible.
1: Um, he performed this experiment more than 24 times, but he could not overcome the problems of rejection, um, of obviously the host body rejecting you know, this extra head that had been attached yeah. onto it. But the longest survived for 29 days, which was like, quite a long time for an yeah. extra dog's head to survive. And that head the body. was
0: actually... Yeah doing Um, things yeah eating drinking spontaneously Yeah. yeah
1: creepy so the u.s neurosurgeon dr robert white took this idea and ran with it and in march 1970 he led a team of surgeons from case western reserve university to basically put the head of one monkey onto the body of another so the surgeons decapitated two monkeys and put the head of monkey A onto the body of monkey B, and reconnected the cartoid artery and the jugular vein. And then when the 18-hour procedure was over, the team of 30 doctors, nurses, and technicians reportedly cheered when the monkey woke up and tried to bite the nearest person. So they had successfully transplanted the head from one monkey onto the body of another. Mm. Because uh, the surgery severed its spine, however, the monkey was paralysed from the neck down, and it died nine days after the operation. Obviously... That's an appalling thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Many animal rights activists were appalled, um, so. calling this work cruel and unneeded and a grotesque breach of any ethical consideration. I mean, I can't really see the benefits of doing that. But I guess it's interesting to see that you could do it.
0: Ooh, there's a dilemma. <laughs> Isn't <it? laughs>
1: In 2001, White replicated the experiment and said that the monkey could see, taste, hear, smell and move its face. And actually, an Italian surgeon... Dr. Sergio Canavero said that he would perform the world's first human head transplant in China by early 2018, but this still hasn't happened.
0: Okay. At at least as far as we know.
1: As far as we know, yeah. (laughs) Unless it did happen and they didn't want to tell anyone about it.
0: (laughs) Who knows what goes on. Yeah. I suppose it could be useful if if there was someone very important who'd got something very important in their brain and they just needed something to be able to...
1: That's like something like the Simpsons though, isn't yeah, it? Where they yeah. have like all those jars yeah. that the heads in and they can like <laughs> still Just talk. it. You need a body
0: to keep the brain alive, sort of Yeah.
1: Thing. So at the start of Frankenstein, there's a quote from Paradise Lost, oh, yeah. which is, Did I request thee, maker, from my clay to mould me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? Which is basically the idea that Adam is saying to God, Well, you made me This is your decision, it wasn't my decision. And I think the same idea from the monster Frankenstein, that, well, he didn't ask to be made, he was created. Mm -hmm. It wasn't his fault that he was a monster. So that's the story of the real-life Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And and the experiments that inspired the story and the kind of things that but yeah, yeah. possibly inspired by frankenstein I, too
0: i can kind of see how that galvanism yeah worked by putting electrical current across yeah. nerves or bits of muscle or whatever making twitch making yeah. twitch and stuff but to get them to actually like lift its arm and point would need so many different things yeah. happening to do that I, I wonder if some of that might be a bit I exaggerated mean, yeah. <laughs> over time, but potentially, yeah, yes, yeah.
1: And I guess by the time that the film was created, those kind of experiments were probably much better known and more yeah. established. That you know, kind of you've put electricity through something and it brings it to life, so that's yeah. probably why they maybe hooked onto that for the film because that's quite a tangible, yeah, thing, isn't it? Like put electricity creates life, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that kind of makes it sort of sci fi, doesn't it?
0: Yeah it didn't really create life, it just no. caused Twitching. muscles to twitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is uh, really interesting, quite disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect for October. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Still some murder, but uh, yeah, nice and creepy.
0: Nice and creepy, yeah. And and the, the whole theme of bodies being presented to doctors and yeah. anatomists is something that we may well be exploring in another episode this month. I look forward to that. Mm.
1: So, you, you got some photos? I don't have any photos of the actual Frankenstein's monster because it doesn't exist. No. Um, but <laughs> I will share some photos of bits of experiments and the dog head transplant and um, interesting bits and pieces around the story on our Instagram, which you can find at
0: Dad and Daughter Do Death.
1: They will also be shared on our Facebook page.
0: Just look for Dad and Daughter Do Death.
1: And you can email us with any questions or other spooky suggestions at
0: Dad and all to do death at gmail.com. You can also message us through either Facebook or Instagram as well.
1: Thank you very much for listening. Um, So you can actually read Frankenstein for free on Google Books. It's free. Free? Free. Wow, <laughs> wow I know. Um, so just literally Google Frankenstein book and it will just pop up. Um, but I will also share the link to it uh, in our show notes. Oh, that'd be brilliant. So you can go go away and read Frankenstein.
0: That's just something to do for this Halloween. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for, for telling me that rather creepy story.
1: You are very welcome.
0: It's uh, quite macabre what people yeah, in that really period of time used to get up to. and like...
1: Yeah. And the thought that uh, not just because, because they're a criminal... That they deserve to have their bodies chopped up after they died. And obviously now we're much more respectful
0: to yeah. our criminals, sort of. Um Yeah, we don't hang them anymore. We don't hang
1: them, no. <laughs> we don't chop them up after they die, do we?
0: No, not in this country.
1: No. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, please do leave us a rating or a comment, or you can subscribe or download too.
0: We will continue our creepy and macabre stories on the run up to Halloween this year. So join us next time, and once again, Dad
1: and Daughter, do Death. <laughs>